Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, things like uh, counterpoint, you know, the, like these counter melodies in the chorus, being able to really have the chorus be dependent not just on a single melody but on the but on the interplay of the other two vocalists in the band and there there are things like that that are kind of signature toad that's glenn phillips from the band toad the wet sprocket talking about the band's distinct sound glenn and bass player dean dinning talk about playing deep in a cavern in tennessee recording one of the more unique kiss cover songs you'll ever hear and much more on this episode of behind the set list Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. In this episode, we talk to Glenn Phillips and Dean Dinning of the band Toad the Wet Sprocket. Jay, you're a fan going way back, right? Yeah, huge fan of this band. Um, one of my all-time favorite albums is Dulcinea or Dulcinea, I guess I've been mispronouncing it the whole time, but I love that album and that really drew me into the band and I've been following Glenn and the band ever since. Yeah, you know, it's it's great to see them back out on the road. Um, you know, they debuted in 1988 with Bread and Circus and followed by Pale in 1989. And then they had a couple platinum albums, um, Fear from 1991 and Dulcinea from 1994. Platinum means they shipped over a million units in the U.S., so they're fairly popular. Um, people might know the songs All I Want, Walk on the Ocean, Something's Always Wrong. Um, really big on, I think, what was probably called college radio back then. Always seemed to get mentioned in the same breath as Hootie and the Blowfish for um, oddly named bands. And, and they, I guess they share some characteristics. There's a, a folky kind of alternative rock element to it. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of counterpoint vocals, guitars, big harmonies. I like some of the things that they sprinkle into their set, things like uh, Glenn Phillips solo songs occasionally, but they do some interesting covers. Uh, we talked a little bit about Rock and Roll All Night by the rock band Kiss. They do an acoustic version of that song, which is just amazing. And that was on a Kiss compilation way back in the 90s. Now, that's not something they throw in their set list, unfortunately. And maybe after our conversation, maybe they'll be inspired to play it a little more often. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah. um, that was a really great co uh, Kiss compilation back in the day. And I think that track really stood out as yeah. um, perhaps the best song on there and the most unkissed version on there. Yeah, absolutely. And Gene Simmons has gone on record as saying it's his favorite version of that song. They do other cover tunes from time to time. They do Better Be Home Soon in the set list that we uh, looked at by Crowded House. And it's just a natural. I mean, it's it's just big harmonies, uh, big sound. Uh, and it's something that I think uh, fans of both bands would appreciate. Yeah, I think I think Crowded House is a good uh, touch point, a good reference point for the band. There's something about Toad the Red Sprocket when, and especially about Glenn Phillips, the singer, when you hear Glenn, you know exactly who it is. And we talked to Glenn 
and Dean about the sound and uh, what makes Toad sound like Toad. I think it was yeah. a great conversation. Um, yeah. Before we go any further, let's remind you, if you like Behind the Set List and our guests, and we've had everybody from Tears for Fears to Shania Twain, please subscribe and leave a comment. It really helps. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And just tell one friend. Uh, we appreciate it. So without further ado, here's Toad the Wet Sprocket on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. Glenn, Dean, thanks so much for joining us for Behind the Set List. So great to see you guys. Longtime listeners, first time callers. So great to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. So, um, so people, you know, they can hear who is who. Glenn, (laughs) talk for a second and and so they recognize your voice. Hi. Here, wait, I'll make it even clearer. Hi, my name is Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket. I I don't (laughs) sound like that when I talk, though. Nice. And Dean? Hi, this is Dean from Toad the Wet Sprocket. Very good. Very good. So let, let's let's kick it off. I wanted to mention, I mean, I'm such a huge fan uh, of the band and the solo work, but it started in a, in a strange way for me. I've worked with a lot of different uh, major labels, and one was when you guys were with Sony, and someone sent me an EP called The Acoustic Dance Party uh, Live, and that was in heavy rotation in my car for like a year. And, and what happened was then I would hear those songs on, you know, the studio versions and I'd be like, Oh, I, I like the, I like the EP. I mean, that's, I, I just, though, to me, those were the original versions, you know? Um, I guess sometimes you get what's called demo love, you know, when you hear earlier versions of a song or a live version of a song. And then when you hear the final version, it's not the same as the one you've, uh, you've been used to, but talk a little bit about, uh, that acoustic dance party, uh, live EP and how that came together because it's so well done. Thank you, Dean. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly where we recorded it, but that was definitely on tour. Um, it says Santa we Barbara. It says live at Area 52. That was p- part of it we did live. I think with Bruce in Santa Barbara, we definitely did Something's yep. Always Wrong um, there. Um, that would have been Bruce Swinner. Yeah. Yes. Part of that might have been from another uh, re- you know, recording session that we did on the road. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but it was definitely something that we were doing acoustic sets every day in those days. I mean, when we were going to so many radio stations, we would do two or three radio stations a day and we would always take our guitars and play acoustically. That was kind of our thing. And so, you know, we'd end up, you know, people would give us a CD at the end of the, of the day or the session or something. And we'd end up with these and sometimes they'd be really good. So we had the idea to, to put out this acoustic EP acoustic dance party. That was kind of a, <laughs> I guess that was my title. <laughs> Again, um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was really nice. It was it was live the, the, uh, in front of an audience. It was definitely definitely captured the band in a moment where we weren't thinking much about what we were doing. It was very casual, yeah. and it was fun. You know, yeah, you know, we took a look at the October nine set list, uh, which was one of the last dates that you played as of this recording at Cumberland Caverns in McMinnville, outside of Nashville. You remember that show? It's definitely a unique place to play a concert. 
I mean, it, it's yeah. uh, it's it's a really cool. It's it's in an old mine. I think it was a tungsten mine, was it, or, or some? I'm forgetting what what the what the element was. I believe it, it was tungsten. Yeah, and, it was really weird. Yeah, now there's a venue down there. It's really great. I will say it's hard to perform there only in that uh, you end up being down there for probably six or seven hours. The audience gets to come down and see the show and go back up, but the band. Uh, it's it's kind of intense. It's a it's a lot of cave. It's a lot more cave than I'm used to, uh, but really fun place to play. Great people out there. There was a lot of humidity, and you could see your breath in the air. It was very very odd. Mm-hmm. And the, the the one of the like weird things about it was or fifty eight degrees exactly. Constant. And the stage the stage was very uneven. I uh, I fell in a pot. I had a pothole right in front of me that I <laughs> fell into a few times. Um, that would be the, my only suggested improvement. But you know, it was great. It was really it was ethereal and fun. And you know, at, at, at that point, anything that kind of makes a show special and takes you out of your head and and you're all you know, I think at the audience and the band at those shows definitely feels like they're having a, a real shared experience because the band's in an air, in an environment that they, you know, aren't usually in. And so is the audience. So we're, you're all th- kind of thrown into it together. Yeah. So in that show, um, you opened with come down, um, which starts off pretty rock and starts off fast. Um, and then you kind of pull it down to uh, crowing, um, talk about your intro. Do you ever mix that up and open with other songs or is that kind of your go-to? We have opened with other songs for a long time. Come Down was a relatively new opener. Um, we hadn't opened with that before, but we were just coming off of a package tour that we had done in the summer um, uh, with Bare Naked Ladies and Gin Blossoms. And, and we were playing bigger places, audience maybe not as familiar with us as they are usually. So we wanted to come out with something that was familiar, but obviously... You know, not you'd save the big guns for later, uh, and that one, yeah, we 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 I think we tried it for the first time on that tour, and it and it went really well. So we kept it for our, this run of headline shows that we did in the fall, and it's a good opener. It's it's upbeat and. And but we hadn't done it before. Um, sometimes we get into a groove where we open with a song and we do it for like a year. Um, but this one was new. And you've got a bunch of dates coming up. Um, uh, I was looking at your tour schedule. Do you kind of have you crafted your your set list for for that run? We have. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. is. Go ahead, Dean, yeah, Dean put it together on this one. Uh, it's often a combination. Uh, you know, Todd and Dean. Dean is really kind of the setlist master in the band, and then Todd kind of tweaks for his guitar changes, and then I tweak for vocal strain. <laughs> That's usually the, yeah. the order in which it goes. Uh, but I mean, it's always shifting up a bit. I think the favorite thing that we've changed in the last few years is having a little acoustic uh, acoustic section in the middle of the set and getting to kind of do something different and reconfigure for a minute that way. That's been kind of our biggest shift. But I mean, you know, at this point in a career, there's kind of, um, you gotta, you gotta hit a couple of the ones everybody knows. You gotta hit a couple of deep cuts. And, uh, luckily we're a band whose audience is, it's generally been more of an album audience and less of a single audience. Yeah. So we get a lot of wee- leeway in that, but we tend to get it going and, and, you know, tweak a little if things aren't working as well as we thought they would, but minor, minor tweaks after the top of the tour. 
you know, the third song you played was Good Intentions. And, um, you know, Glenn, I got to say that I, I quoted you in one of our podcasts recently, and I, I think with maybe Alex from All Time Low. And I, I thought back to a bootleg, a toad bootleg I had years ago. And I, th- I think that's where this quote came from. You were introducing, I think, Good Intentions. And you said um, something to the effect of, it's hard being happy in music because then your songs suck. <laughs> eh, it sounds like something I would that was have said that was point. almost thirty years ago, probably. <laughs> Is there any truth to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a way of justifying my misery. Uh, I don't think that's actually true anymore. <laughs> Tell us about that acoustic thing you were telling us about in the new set, where you you sort of have a section where. How does that work? Do you just come out front and sit down with uh, acoustic instruments? We talked about doing that again for years, and we never quite got it together. Um, I think the the thing that broke the ice with that is we played a show in Santa Barbara a few years ago, and we started with the song Best of Me. Or we didn't actually start with that song. We weren't going to play that in the set at all. I think I forget what our opening song was, but basically... Uh, the board that our engineer was using that night had a button he didn't know about it on the side that switched all the inputs from analog to digital. And so we started playing and he put his hands on the side of the console because he likes to rest them there. And the sound cut out 10 seconds into the set. No. <laughs> and, and we had no we idea. We didn't know how to get it back. We didn't know how to get it back. We didn't know what had happened. And uh, so, you know, we're, we had a packed house in our hometown and immediately the PA dies. And so I ran and got the acoustic guitar and started singing Best of Me and like got everybody on stage and they sang the, the harmonies. And it ended up being this like really special moment. Uh, and then John figured out what had happened and got the PA back on. But we ended up opening every show on the tour with like a one mic version of that. You know, and and just kind of going out and singing all together, and kind of having that be the top of the night and drawing people in, uh, was a really fun way to start the set. And kind of from that came the idea of doing a little more of an extended acoustic thing in the middle. And it's only like three three songs, probably. It's not not a, a huge departure, but it, it changes the energy and it gets. Um, I think there's something about the rawness of, you know, not getting to hide behind all the, you know, the rock, not getting to hide behind the electric guitar and the big drums and all these other things and uh, having it just be focused on the vocals and the song. I I, I love kind of paring it down to that. And this tour, I think we're going to pare it down to where I start do one just solo and probably let that be kind of a different song most nights. And just so there's a different energy and something that's kind of, I haven't run it by the band yet, but I think it's a good idea. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. No, it's a nice uh, dynamic shift and it allows uh, uh, us to kind of structure the set so that it has an arc in the beginning and then this middle section and then a second arc at the end. It really takes on a nice structure and makes the whole thing feel like a more dynamic you know, more of a, more presentational, if you will, like somebody actually put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Best of Me, and, and that song is on your collection, All You Want. The song was first released in the, your 2021 album, Starting Now, Michael McDonald singing backup on that song. Now you re-released it. Tell us about that song and 
and why it reappears on on all you want well there was always a version of it with todd our guitar player and i singing the parts that michael mcdonald did it was a dream come true literally to get michael mcdonald it was just kind of we asked him on a whim and it really came this close to not happening um he almost didn't have time to do it before the record came out and it only was through a, a friend of glenn's that we were able to even get him to consider doing it so it was kind of a kind of a pipe dream and a, and just a fun idea to have him sing on it because it was really a perfect part for him. The thing about Michael McDonald is he always tends to sing these parts that are by himself. He doesn't tend to harmonize with the lead singer. He does the part that is a counterpart, like the you know such a long way to go or some or like those type things. Love he needs his own space. Nice. Yeah. Well, pack, pack. Um, <laughs> He's got his own space, and this song had a part that really would give him his own space. So it seemed, I always called it the Michael McDonald part from the first time I heard the song. And so when we got him to do it, that was awesome, and, and we put it out, and, and I love that version. But there was always a version, this is the ver- This is the mix right before we added Michael McDonald to it. This is the band version of the song that almost went on the record. And it's nice to bring the song back to the sound of 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 just of just the band without the guest and it was it was a track that we hadn't released yet and and it's a great song and the version is great and um so we we made it the uh the single off this new all you want project fantastic you know there's a lot of toad like music that you guys have recorded separately tons of solo glenn lapdog nashville collaborations you know todd and, and you dean you know that you've done a lot of music that i think might fit really well into a toad set list um the lapdog song see you again um you know i'll bet on you um and i i've seen in some of your past set lists that there have been once in a while there's a solo uh, song dropped in there. Um, talk a little bit about your, your solo work and how maybe, you know, could some of that, uh, drop in from time to time? It's all available. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think things do drop in. I'll probably in the, in the solo acoustic bit, switch between like deep cut old toad songs and stuff we're not doing in the set and stuff from solo albums. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of songs. We can't play them all. No. <laughs> and when it's called Toad the Wet Sprocket, we definitely like to lean it towards Toad. But I think doing the occasional song from another project is always a good thing. Um, yeah. You know. So right now, uh, there's just, yeah, there's other stuff in there. So are there any that you think might lend themselves uh, a little easier or blend in a little bit better than others? I mean, there's always been a balance in Toad about half the songs, you know, the old stuff about half the songs were Todd's music, uh, about half the songs were mine. Uh, Dean's been more, you know, last few albums, like kind of stepping up and I think we'll step up even more on the on the next one. Uh, And so um, so, you know, there's that collaboration of Toad and kind of traditional balance and whatever. Uh, But, you know. It so I, to to some degree sometimes there's a difference between a toad song and a solo song. I think 
Uh, the, the first album that that really occurred for me with was New Constellation because it was the first time where I'd put out a bunch of solo records and I was like asking, what's a Toad song? How's it different? Like, how's it different than a song? And, you know, things like uh, Counterpoint, you know, the, like these counter melodies in the chorus, being able to really have the chorus be dependent not just on a single melody, but on the, but on the interplay yeah. of the other two vocalists in the band. And there, there are things like that that are kind of signature Toad. And also, since I too were solo acoustic, just being able to kind of write things that have more of that rock energy to them, um, as opposed to things that are a little more singer songwritery. Um, so, I mean, there's that that part, but to some degree, a song's a song, and I've I've always found like I feel like Todd, in some ways, like his guitar, his parts sets like the center tone of the band. Um, and there's something in the way that no matter what I'm writing and I, my writing's kind of all over the map. And so, but there's something about the way we play together and the way we interact that just makes the songs ours when we play them. It's yeah. like, uh, there's, there's something that kind of automatically occurs and it, it just in terms of the way we mesh together. So, um, you know, anything we bring in, uh, it, it ends up feeling like Toad, you know, whether it's, you know, Nancy or, you know, or, or Amnesia or, you know, it's like the, the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, yeah. People who, people who've seen us a lot of times, they'll know that we've done a lot of songs off of Glenn solo records live. We've done, uh, uh, nobody's going to get hurt. We've done oh, amnesty. Yeah. Um, we've Fine done every, everything but you, and we did finally fading. So it's not a new thing at all. We, we do it all the time. And we've done some great versions of those songs. So it's always fair game to bring something like that in. And if, if a band version of it works and sounds good, then away we go. On this Cumberland Caverns set, it's really well represented across your catalog, except I don't see anything from, from the debut album, Bread and Circus. Uh, is it uncommon to leave out that album? Is it just something that's just how it turned out on this leg of the tour? Mm, I mean, songs songs from there, they come in and out. It, it's an odd, how can I say this? Uh, it's a strange song, I, I, like album, sorry. I understand why people love the first two albums because they're very, uh, they're very raw. They're very imperfect. They're kind of amateurish, but they have this really honest vibe. Uh, you can, you know... It sounds like what it is, like both those records, we just went in and we played and that was the record and live lead vocals and um, and so, you know, warts and all, but um, I don't know how many people, like for me, lyrically, I was doing a lot of obfuscating uh, and, and faking it and, you know, nobody necessarily wants to read their 16-year-old poetry. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, the other thing is, the other thing is, this was a new album cycle uh, tour that this Cumberland Cavern set. So we were playing six new songs wow. yeah. in that set, I think. So um, I, there just wasn't time. It was focused on we had a new album, we wanted to play a lot of new songs. So the stuff that we decided had to, you know, that was, you know, you're going to let some stuff go to make room. Yeah, um, and, and I would say it's, it goes. and it's something we feel really fortunate to with with our audience is um, that our our new songs don't seem to be bathroom breaks. 
some of the new songs are the ones that get the strongest reaction. And it's been a really wonderful thing as a band to feel like we still have something new to communicate to an audience and that they still want to hear it from us. That's been, um, that's been incredibly rewarding with the, with the last couple of records. Yeah. It's so rare too. Uh, I think that's a testament to your, your new material. Um, one of my favorite songs that you've done is actually a cover song, maybe a little tongue in cheek off of the, uh, kiss cover, uh, album where you did uh, rock and roll all night and it's magic. I mean, you took it and <laughs> toted it out and it's melodic and it's infectious. Talk a little bit about that because it was so surprising. And yet I, I was checking out some of your older set lists and you've only played it maybe a dozen times. There it is. <laughs> There's that kiss doll for those who can't see this. That's awesome. The best experience <laughs> ever playing that, although it, we, we kind of messed up. We, John Bon Jovi actually came on stage with us at uh, at a big radio show in New York, Madison Square Garden, Madison what? Square Garden, and and sang that with us. <laughs> yeah, um, that was crazy. Yeah, but it was. I, I, wow. I see "Kiss on the Wall" behind you. Yeah. Uh, so yes. there is love there. Yeah, that's we, my that's the the Christmas card that we got from Kiss the year we did the the tribute album. Yeah, it's, nice guys, nice guy, and and. <laughs> It was, we got asked to be on that, and we thought the most audacious thing. We knew we were not going to outrock anybody. And and so the idea was to just make fun of ourselves and do it as if it were like a Young Life campfire song. Uh, and then turn it into a waltz. Yeah. Just, just make it like distressingly toad sounding, uh, uh, which uh, the thing, Gene Simmons loved it. He, he has gone on the record as saying it is not only his favorite song on that album, but it's one of his top 10 favorite recordings ever, he says. And so we we won on that one, but there were there were definitely a few people who were who were upset about it. If if that had been in the age of the comments section, uh, it, we would have just been destroyed. I thought we it was doxed. I thought it was absolutely <laughs> wonderful, and it it took a lot of nerve to go after. You know, it wasn't some deep you know album track. And Garth on there did "Hard Luck Woman," you know, which kind of fits and all of that. But man, yeah. you went after their biggest song and just <laughs> turned it upside down. <laughs> you know, a little three, four waltz. That was amazing. That was the assignment. That was the assignment. He said, make it sound like you. So we took the thing that ah. we thought we did and applied it to this, you know, classic rock yeah. anthem. What happens when you play it live to your crowd? We we don't really do it live. We, we did it <laughs> live it that again. one time. And we, we easily could. We can easily put it in the acoustic set or anywhere, really. Um, but that one time we did it at Madison Square Garden, it's not really fair to judge it because John Bon Jovi was on stage with us, but it seemed like the crowd reaction was good. <laughs> it was so strange to be out there and on the one hand feel like, man, we're playing Madison Square Garden. This is cool. We're, we're, we're winning. We're doing all right here. And he walked on stage and yeah. just... It was like goosebumps. The entire place went, ah, 
like it was like, oh, and that's how it feels to be a real rock star. Like it was insane. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of like standing on a runway during the takeoff. (laughs) Let's talk about the toad sound. Um, You know, when I listen to a song like Hold On, which is a fairly new song, I hear late 70s Fleetwood Mac. I I mean that as a total compliment. I, I hope you take it that way. I hear some Fleetwood Mac and Glenn song Stone Throat also. That was actually, I was, I was aiming for somewhere between like Lindsey Buckingham and War on Drugs. That was, that was my, my attitude towards that one. Lindsey Buckingham on drugs. War on drugs. (laughs) That was the seventies. That was the seventies. It's not that fast though. (laughs) How do you think the toad sound has changed? Are there, what are the common threads, but what's changed over the years? Um, I, I, hard to say in that. I mean, the counterpoint with, with the vocals, the vocals is a big thing. Having three strong vocalists, uh, is, uh, a big part of it. Um, and Todd's guitar is so unique. His, you know, he has one of the most like unique tones. I feel like you can just tell his playing, on every song he it's such a signature style it's so open and chimey and bell-like and he the you know there's a huge part of the band that is that uh and the interplay of that and and the the vocals um you know as far as what i'm doing on like with the bass i'm always keying in on where what what's going on with the melody so if the melody's not Mm -hmm. there then i don't have any then i don't know what to do but uh, when the melody's right, then my part writes itself, and it's it's I can I can put in all kinds of harmony stuff in the bass part, and then also sing another part. So I always look at what I'm doing as as the opportunity to do two vocal parts: a bass vocal, which is what I play on the bass, and then a, my real harmony vocal, which is up usually above Glenn. And the, the I think also the where our arrangements sit in terms of busyness, you know, Todd the color and the openness of his playing um, allows Dean to do a lot more melodically under it because he's kind exactly. of creating these soundscapes. So Dean can be extremely melodic in a way that uh, a different style of guitar wouldn't, wouldn't really allow for. So um, you fill the spaces you're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's sort of your, this, at least to my ears, that, that I can recognize your music immediately. It's that counterpoint in the vocals, but also things like on Fly From Heaven, you have this intro with bass and guitars, this interplay kind of happening that's that's unique. And it's it's really sort of magical. And some of the, you know, talk a little bit about how you're crafting this playlist because like right, like your seventh song is Fly From Heaven, which is one of my, my favorite Toad songs. And that... That intro is unlike any other song. It just has this really neat kind of interplay. Yeah, I mean, the intro to that song, it's just acoustic guitar, drums, and bass. The bass is doing this weird figure that was inspired by this song on the the first Daniel Lanois solo album. It's called The Maker. Mm -hmm. Um, I had always wanted to play something similar to that on a Toad song, and so I I, I lifted a little bit of that for... Uh, fly from heaven but then todd is playing these 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 volume swells and just these hanging uh, like they're like fifths or something like that that just hang in the air um while the bass is, is doing all this movement yeah. 
the, 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 the melody itself is one of Glenn's busier melodies. Um, so once again, there's busyness and space all coexisting at the same time. And it just came to, you know, I don't remember that song being a struggle. I think everybody played what they wanted to play and played it very naturally and just sort of came. Yeah, and it's kind of held together. There's this acoustic in there that's very subtle that kind of holds everything together while you're exploring with the bass and then the guitars are doing that swelling that you were talking about. And you, you don't really think about it. You just think it's a really nice song. But then when you put on your headphones and you actually listen to it, it's like this orchestra <laughs> that's playing. Yeah, and there's not that much on it, uh, but yet it sounds very expansive. Mm-hmm. Um, so my yeah, favorite no, thing I'm... about that record, actually, the the Dulcinea record on when we were doing Fear, I think you know I I'm, I'm in love with Tears for Fears and Peter Gabriel and the, there were these big like late '80s early '90s records that you know we were going in we did 48 tracks we're like we're gonna make a big <laughs> record because we never knew if we'd get to do another one and we did I think 300 shows uh, for the Fear tour wow and. Mm-hmm. When we came back in the studio for Dulcinea, we took it back to 24 tracks. And the idea was we wanted to make a record that sounded like us and sounded like us live. And so it was the four of us. Plus, we had at that time our friend Bruce Winter was out playing keyboards with us. And we tried to not do anything we couldn't replicate live. And I think the spaciousness of that record, as opposed to just adding more for the sake of more... um, that record has that wonderful sound yeah. of like, there's nothing external. And some of my favorite records production wise, like from around that time, like if you listen to Parachutes by Coldplay, mm-hmm. like there's so little on that record or, or uh, Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic by The Sundays, like these beautifully produced, yeah. almost skeletal records where it's just, you let the band be the band and you don't add a whole bunch of, extras to it i I love the way dulcinea sounds it holds up well so the thing is if you do a record that way it it doesn't age badly Mm -hmm. you know yeah anybody can make a record uh these days and add as many tracks as they want and just go crazy and and add tons and tons of stuff but to make something spare is um is is Mm -hmm. that's that's really something to make it sound to make it make something uh small sound big that's where the the real magic is. Yeah. I'm, I am so in love with like, I mean, from that time too, like uh, I always bring up PJ Harvey is mm-hmm. making like some of the best sparse records of all time where it's just like a single drum and a bass and her <laughs> spitting into the mic. And it's just, it sounds so enormous. It yeah. sounds so gigantic. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of a band that, didn't overdo it production wise you covered one song in this set it's crowded house better be home soon uh, who's the crowded house fan in the band well dean would be the i mean we all but who we isn't? all are but i mean i mean everyone should be right that's my position and um i have been i was all in on those guys from the very first note that i heard but i was in, you know, we're all we're all the same age here, so I was listening to Split Ends before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. we used uh, to play "I Got You" know, in our we used, yeah, exactly. So when Neil came out with "Crowded House," I was already I already knew I was going to be on board with that completely. And then when I mean the record, the first, the first record, the first two records for me 
Uh, those are absolute classics and, and, you know, deep, uh, deep rotation still, uh, around, uh, my house. Um, and better be home soon is something that I started singing in the dressing room because everybody knew it. We were singing it to, uh, to warm up before shows. Cause we like to do a, a little group, you know, we've been doing a little group vocal warm up thing before we go out there and everybody knows it. And it started sounding so good. It didn't want to live in the dressing room anymore. So we brought it to the stage and, and, uh, what a natural progression that was. Um, just a great song. Yeah. Love it. Always did. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. As far as cover songs go, we talked a little bit about uh, kiss and crowded house, but we were looking over some of your past, uh, set lists. You don't do a ton of covers, but you do some interesting covers. And I wanted to ask you if there's any stories behind and just a few of these, you know, nothing can stop my love. Roger Miller. Um, what's so funny oh, yeah. about peace, love and understanding. Great, uh, great track. Elvis Costello. Um, you did a water boys track. Um, there was cinnamon girl, uh, Neil young. Talk a little bit about those rare times that you drop in some of these covers. And do you try to make them like you did with rock and roll all night? Kind of make them toad. Depends. I mean, they all end up that way. Cause we're playing them. Uh, the Roger Miller song, uh, we got asked to be on a Roger Miller compilation. And uh, I think that no, was a tribute it, record tribute record. And Dean, was it you that found that one? Yeah. Um, you know, my friend, uh, my friend was producing uh, with Roger Miller's son, Dean, um, this very expansive uh, 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 tribute album to Roger Miller. And, uh, you know, he told me to start, you know, he sent me a bunch of links and started looking through songs and things like this. And, and I, I think you might've found nothing can stop my love Glenn. Mm. Um, because we went through a few different things before we landed on that one. And that one, that one was completely natural and, and suited the band. It was perfect for the harmonies. It was, um, and it had the virtue that no one else had chosen to do it. So, uh, <laughs> I had never heard the song before, but you know, and now I love, I, it's one of my favorites. I love it. And it's kind of a rare, uh, purely uplifting Roger Miller song. Usually there's, there's at least something devastating somewhere in it. And I think that one's just, just happy. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. What, what are the other ones? You What's so funny Girl. about peace, love and understanding spirit by water boys. Have- Dean had suggested we do what's so fun. It's just, it was appropriate for the times. I think it's the simplest way to say it and hadn't heard it in a while. And we knew we could just kind of knock it out of the park pretty easy. Uh, It's kind of one of those covers that everybody who was in a band, when we started out, everybody knew. I mean, I I think we could have gotten up on any stage with a bunch of our friends and all played it and all known it, you know, back uh, in, Mm -hmm. in our area when we were starting out. Um, my, my favorite cover that I think we, a couple of my favorites that we've done, we don't really do live, but Hey Bulldog. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. many people are saying that our version of Hey Bulldog is actually the best version of that song. Um, it was in the movie, I know what you did Second. last summer. And then, and then, um, the other one that I really like is our version of instant karma that we did, uh, oh. for the John Lennon mm-hmm. tribute album, which also turned out really good. Now I'm not, I don't know where that one falls in the pantheon, but that one turned out really great too. It just has a, a great spirit to it. We, I think we did that one with Susan Rogers producing mm-hmm. and it was just a great, great, uh, afternoon, um, where we, we did it the whole thing in a day. It was nice. just super fun. 
How did you end yeah. up doing Rainbow Connection, that Muppets track? I saw that on a few of your set lists. Did we all play that together? Or did I just? I think that you out? you used to play it sometimes to to fill time. To fill time, every uh, we we had some health problems at, at, at a point, and mm-hmm. every once in a while, somebody would have to kind of go off stage and recuperate, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, when that would happen, uh, I had to, there was like instant acoustic song, <laughs> got to throw something in there. But I mean, Paul Williams is a, a master. I've been actually playing, uh, and I'll probably play it every once in a while, uh, for, for my little solo bit. Uh, I'm going to go back there someday from the Muppet movie, Gonzo's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually, I need to write back, but I, 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 I shrink in turning into something very small. I've, I've played these shows recently and somebody there was like, do you mind if I send a video of this to Paul? I'm like, you mean Paul, Paul? It's like, yeah. And so I got this like, that's one of my favorite Muppet songs. Like, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was I pretty got to cool. Meet, I got to meet Paul Williams just recently. Uh, he was doing some stuff in a studio that I work at and I just happened to drop by one day when he was there. And I didn't realize it, but, you know, I, I, I got to, you know, you know, I was like, you know, did did they tell you to write something with rainbows? Because you're kind of the, I feel like he's kind of the rainbow guy. Like he he wrote like, uh, I won't last a day without you. There's no getting over that rainbow. So he's like, he's he loves rainbows. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who he's doesn't? the rainbow guy. You know, it's not <laughs> just rainbow say? connection. It's Paul, you know. I think he said that it was their their thing for the movie, but he probably got the gig based on you know no getting over that rainbow. But I mean, yeah. he wrote all the songs. I oh, mean, the end of the how, rainbow how was a big a thing gig? in that movie, wasn't it? That's like right. The whole it was. last sequence, yeah. Yeah, I mean, rain, rainbows are big. So the the crowded house cover was was track fourteen of a twenty one song set and two song encore. But what's the band's philosophy on ending a show you end on a high note a strong note a fast note um with a hit what do you do we've been ending it with walk on the ocean for a very long time so i think we're ready to end it with something else and we're ready possibly to dispense with the encore thing it it feels like just a weird convention it does it's a little bit of play acting that i'm not sure is necessary Mm -hmm. and so Uh, Everybody's like happy they hear the last song. That's the last single I didn't hear. Let's go home. And <laughs> right. Just, yeah, I, I think we're gonna try uh, doing a, a a non-encore. I mean, once again, unless we are so irresistibly amazing that people have to call us back. But, yeah, that's um, a different thing entirely. But I've been going to more and more shows where I see people say, you know, you know what? We're not gonna do the whole thing where we pretend to go off stage and then make you bring us, you know, we're just gonna we are we're gonna do three more songs and that's it. And you just sort of tell the crowd that you're in the encore now. Yeah. And and away you go. And everybody seems to appreciate the artist kind of being just like let's just be real. Let's just be yeah. straight with each other for a moment here. I was thinking we could let we could let the audience vote. Do you want an encore? But no one's who's gonna vote for an encore. No one. No. So it- that's a safe bet. It's, uh, I think we'll be fine. The best encore I think ever recorded is the uh, Bill Withers live at Carnegie Hall. And he starts with Use Me. And they go through and they play play the song and they just hit this bump, bump at the end. And the crowd goes utterly apeshit. He says, oh, you want some more? What? 
two. And he just counts it again and they go straight back into it, like slamming, hitting so hard. And the audience is complete. Like that's an encore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're just going to, I forget what, we're, I think we're ending with granted. I will not take these things for granted on this tour. So leave people warm and fuzzy and hugging each other and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and just have that be the final note. Yeah, we used to kind of look at Walk on the Ocean as almost the, the you know, the, the the closing, you know, the big theme song, almost, you know, like the big closing credits. But, you know, now we can move it into another place in the set and, um, and frame it differently. So that'll be cool. And ending with Granted is something that we did for, uh, like, on the entire Fear Tour. Um, in the and for years in the '90s, that was the last song. So um, it's a great ender. It's a great uh, show ending song. Mm-hmm.